A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And I'm Ben. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming by-election in Margaret Ferrier's Rutherglen and Hamilton West seat. I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. Joining me in the studio, I have our political correspondent, Freddie Haywood. And down the line, we have our senior data journalist and polling expert, Ben Walker. Hi, both of you. Hello. Hello. Now, if you're getting a sense of deja vu, you're not alone. We have been through a round of three by-elections already, and now we're talking about another one. Um, You'll probably remember the SNP MP, Margaret Ferrier, who attended Parliament during lockdown, realised she had COVID and then hopped on a train from London to Scotland while testing positive anyway. Uh, This was at the height of lockdown when the rules were that anyone testing positive should self-isolate for at least 14 days. Remember those times. So when the story first broke back in 2020, she was suspended as an MP, so she's been representing her seat as an independent. And now she's been recalled. So that's when there's a petition calling for her removal from office that has been signed by more than 10% of her constituents. That triggers a by-election. And to me, this is probably the most interesting one of all of the by-elections that we've had um, this year, because it's Hamza Youssef's first electoral test, really. And it's also a test for Labour. You know, this is central belt territory, you know, which it could once count on for its support. It's an SNP Labour marginal. Uh, it's a Glasgow suburb, so it's, you know, Anna Sawa's patch and, um, you know, Labour should be winning it off the SNP, given the state that the SNP is in. Can you tell us a bit more about the seat, Ben? You've written a very good piece about what could happen in the by-election on State of the Nation, which all of our listeners should should read. Yeah, and if you want to go read it, you can go to sotn.newstatesman.com. It's, it's, it's rather good. But anyway, your, your summary was pretty much bang on. It is out of Glasgow. It is suburbs. It's south of the river. And um, it is one of those, I suppose, neck and neck seats because it voted 50-50 yes, no in the independence referendum. So Rutherglen and Hamilton West, outskirts of Glasgow, it should be won by Labour. And, and historically, it's been, been, been Labour for as long as can be. In 2010, it went Labour by 60, uh, 45 points. In 2015, it swung to the SNP as a lot of yes voters abandoned Labour, who were formerly Labour, by the way. Um, and it went to the SNP in 2015 by 17 points for a majority of 10,000. And then in 2017, when uh, Jeremy Corbyn has a surge across England and to a lesser extent in Scotland, it went Labour by a margin of just 300 votes. And, and then the SNP took it back 
quite easily with a majority of 5,000. Now, Britain predicts, which um, does have some form, some form for getting uh, elections right. We did get Uxbridge and South Wales slip wrong. We did understate the Labour lead in Selby and Ainstie. But, but again, just bear in mind, models are models. They tell you what public opinion suggests you. They, they're based on opinion polls. And sometimes if you're overperforming, you're overperforming. But what the forecast in Rutherglen is, is Labour 48%, SNP 37 a lead there of 11 percentage points, which is a reversal of the 2019 result when it was 44% SNP, 35% Labour. You do see a bit of a squeeze of the Tory vote in Scotland there. And it's worth just bearing in mind the transfers in Scotland between voting Labour and voting Conservative is a lot greater in England, a lot of, basically unionism is a is a big part of how people vote, and so a lot of Labour voters in 2016, when Ruth Davidson was doing really well, were more than happy to go to uh, the Conservatives. And what we're seeing now is a bit of a huge reversal of that in the polls. But you're also seeing a great many of SNP supporters both indicating they want to stay at home. They are quite apathetic with the way the SNP has gone. They're quite apathetic with the way Nicola Sturgeon has, you know, well the SNP crashing down, but a lot of them are also quite quite willing to go to Anna Sawa's Labour Party. Sawa has done rather well in not necessarily rebranding the Labour Party, but giving it a bit of oomph and identity among Scottish voters, and we are seeing the dividends of that now. Yeah, it is interesting when you look at what the leaders are doing in terms of campaigning in the seat. I think Hamza Youssef has been there yeah. a lot in the past two weeks and tried to make it his campaign. As you said, Anish, it's really important for him to demonstrate that his leadership isn't a complete failure and he has had some success before the general election next year. And then for the Labour Party especially, I mean, we've got to remember when the by-election is likely to happen. I think the earliest day and what Labour are gunning for is... October 5th, um, it's up to the SNP to uh, move that motion forwards in the House of Commons, but Labour will be pushing for it and we expect it to come around October 5th, just before party conferences. It's going to set the tone. There's going to be a lot of fallout uh, from the result, uh, trying to understand whether Labour can reclaim the seats they lost back in 2015 in Scotland, which would be key to their uh, majority. So it's really important. It's really important for both of them, both leaders, and how people will perceive them to perform next year. Yeah, and we know that Labour already has some very good campaigning heft around this seat because of the outcome of the recall petition. Yeah. So 12,000 constituents signed the petition, wanted the uh, seat to go to a by-election. And that, you know, you'd assume that quite a few of those people are people who would like to see the seat back in Labour hands or disillusioned SNP voters who were not happy with the way that their MP acted. Mm. Um, and so you can already see, actually, you know, perhaps this is a precursor to Labour having quite a lot of sway in this area. I mean, they've been kicking around there for a while as well. Yeah, completely. And I was speaking to someone last night who's been campaigning in the constituency recently. They say the office is all set up, they're raring to go, they've been planning this for a very long time. I think the key issues they're going to focus on is... Uh, well, they said they're going to focus on buses. They're going to focus on Margaret Farrier and how the, the perception that she stuck around and she's basically not representing her constituents correctly, but she wanted to wait for the recall petition rather than just resigning. They're going to be pointing to the SNP's record in government. I mean, they, the way they describe it, as Labour often do, is that you've got this tired sense of decline around the SNP in the same way that they 
describe the Conservatives in England. So they're the key points that Labour are going to go for. And I think there is a sense of a m- momentum as there is with the party in general. Uh, you're going to see that pop up in different places and people want to do well and now expect to do well. And that also carries risks. After the break, we'll talk more about the importance of a Labour comeback in Scotland. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth. Featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So I think this will be really important for the narrative of a Labour comeback in Scotland. I went to go and interview Anna Sawa back in May and it was really interesting because they were waiting for this poll to come out, this Redfield and Wilton poll, which is the polling company that polls Scotland regularly on um, the different parties' favourability. And that day, Labour had held a favourability rating of 12%, not very high, but you know they were delighted because the SNP had dropped to minus 4%. Um, and so it's about whether or not they can build on that momentum by sealing it with a real electoral victory. But if they can't, and it happens before conference season, that could change the entire political narrative. I mean, you look look what happened when they lost Uxbridge and South Ryslip. We've been talking about it for weeks. Mm, quite. And uh, yeah, I mean, it does make a massive difference. I think there was a similar by-election. Was it a by-election? I think it was in 1964, just before Howard Wilson got back in with a very slim majority in the same constituency or around around that area. And it, it does make a difference to, well, it makes a difference in a few ways. It makes a difference in terms of how the media cover you, how you're, how you manage your party, whether you're going to have a united, unified, purpose-led, intentional uh, shadow cabinet who believe in your leadership, or have you got people speculating that you haven't got it in you, um, that you might have uh, more momentum within the opposition party. So it does make a massive difference. Yeah, so there was a by-election in Rutherglen in uh, 1964, which back then, Glasgow-Rutherglen it was called, um, it was a Labour game from the Conservatives back in the day when the Conservatives won around 50-something percent of the voting seats like these. And it was a Labour game with a pretty, pretty, pretty hefty swing. So yeah, you're completely right. They do shape narratives. And for, I, I don't wish to talk about our Westminster-centric media. But um, sometimes we have got into that. I think we've got into the habit of writing off Scotland as as, as SNP territory for far too long. And um, it's changing. It's changing. Britain predicts across the whole of Scotland um, does record right now, if an election was held today, a quite sizable drop in the number of seats for the SNP. So they won, what was it, 40, 48, 49 at the last election out of a total of 50, 50, uh, 58, 59. Um, right now we've got them on course to win 30, which is a drop of 18. And then you've got Labour 
up uh, up from a solitary one in Edinburgh South to 21. And the Tories down uh, three to two, three. And the Lib Dems up one on five. Um, so, so we are seeing quite a big change. Um, a lot of this is razor thin margins. So um, don't don't count on those numbers just yet. We are a far cry from where we were in 2010 when Gordon Brown was Labour leader. Back then he was getting, uh, hit Labour was getting 41 seats out of a total of 59. You know, they were coming away with the vote share and the SNP were very much in the doldrums were just, just one in five voters. We're, we're, that's, we're, not, we're never going to go back to that. But what it seems we are shifting towards, I don't know for how much long, how long will it will it last when Labour's in government? But we do we are shift, shifting to a more competitive Labour Party, and you, absolutely Labour should be over the moon about the fact they're in a net positive of favourability in Scotland because they haven't been in that for for, for God knows how long. It's just worth bearing in mind: not one leader uh, of the Labour Party in Scotland until Anna Sawa. Uh, this decade and the past decade as well has had net favourability with with voters. You know, Kezia Dugdale didn't, uh, Ian Gray didn't, um, I forget the names of everyone else. Richard Leonard definitely didn't. Uh, not one of them were that well was that well liked with the public. Anasawa though is relatively speaking, of course, he he dips and you know ebbs and flows, but but it is quite impressive. He's he's um he's not Ruth Davidson because Ruth Davidson had really really good level of favourability at one point. But um, he's he's demonstrating competence for the public and the public are noticing. And I, and I think it really is helping Scottish Labour come back. Yeah, that's really interesting because when I met him, he was concerned about the fact that the majority of the Scottish public back then didn't said they didn't know how he was doing as Labour leader, which suggested that they didn't really know who he was. There wasn't that recognition there. And so on purpose, he's been going out and about around Scotland, meeting voters, doing sort of quite cheesy photo shoots, eating deep fried Mars bars, you know, getting the press along, getting Keir Starmer along, going to places particularly like Rutherglen to try and introduce himself to the public. So it sounds like that's been cutting through a bit, that strategy. So we'll be keeping an eye on this and we will be getting in touch with our Scotland editor, Chris Deeran, when he's back from holiday to analyse more on what's going on in the seat. And the by-election, like Freddie said, is likely to be within the first couple of weeks of October because we have to wait for Parliament to come back to start that process. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to send a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us or put one in the YouTube comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Freddie Haywood and Ben Walker. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for the New Statesman. We're produced by Matt Murphy and the executive producer is Chris Stone. <laughs>